2024 is the year of podcasts, and we want to let you know about a brand new show that is live right now. Join with me to share the good news about the Worthy of Everything podcast. It's just one of the two hosts, Jaja Lasso. Jaja, you've been working on this podcast in the background. Our team has been very excited as we've been preparing for its launch. How does it feel to know that the episodes finally are out there and we're moving forward every single week? It is so exciting and I am just excited to see where God takes it and I have so much hope that it is going to be an incredible blessing to the listeners. Amen, amen. But as I understand it, this is a show tackling the issues of mental health through the lens of the gospel. Can you share just a little bit more about the heart and the intent and who you're really trying to serve through the Worthy of Everything podcast? So I personally was freed from depression and as I've come to understand my freedom from sin and identity in Christ, I start to recognize all these amazing gifts that God has given us. So yeah, just exploring and hearing awesome testimonies about how to walk out true intimacy with a loving father who pursues his kids. Oh man, sounds like a good time. If you want to check out the show, lovereality.org slash podcasts and look for the Worthy of Everything show. Are we starting the podcast now? Or? Oh, we've been on the podcast, my brother. <laughs> Yo, welcome to the Death Alive podcast. My name is Richard Young, and this podcast that you're about to listen to is the podcast with my wife and myself that we recorded with our homies Morgan and Tyler. and. Um, it's kind of just a, a wrap up of our story and I really want to, <laughs> I know I've said before that, uh, some of the podcasts are not for younger ears. This is probably the most rated R1. I mean, it's not anything crazy, but, um, probably not appropriate for the babies. Uh, and so just take that into consideration. Uh, but Man, I'm just excited. I have uh I'm about to listen to it again. I haven't heard it for or for a while. But there's so much stuff that we cover in this thing and um I hope that you're going to get a blessing from it. Uh if you've been listening to the podcast for the last several weeks, you know um Love Reality has put out wave 1. You know about the Bible studies. Um you know what's going on with all of that. Um but if anybody is interested in any of this stuff or, or you know, just the theology of it, wanting to know um, how these lives have changed, please don't hesitate to, to, to reach out, contact me or, or my wife or Tyler Morgan. Uh, we're very easy to be found on the internet uh, and we're always open. But let's just get into this podcast because it's a little bit longer. And I know that's kind of strange to have a little bit longer of a podcast. I know we like to keep it keep it light and tight around here. But uh buckle up, strap in. I love y'all and I appreciate y'all. Yo Richard, are you about to do the podcast? Oh my God, it's the life I was made for. We do 
Okay, so I have a question right from the jump. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, As I've been listening to both of these interviews, I was curious, listening to you interview Natalie, Natalie listening to Morgan interview you, if while you were describing you and Richard's relationship in college, and you saw my and Morgan's relationship blossoming in college, did you recognize that it was exactly the same (laughs) in terms of like (laughs) all the patterns of deception that I was headed for the exact same thing for the same reasons. And Morgan was the, I was like, listening. I was like, no, Natalie and I are exactly the same. (laughs) Really? I didn't didn't know though. I don't think I at that time thought that we didn't know what was going on with us. Yeah. I don't think we had like a clue about what was even going to be like the biggest problems in our relationship at that point. Yeah, it's funny when you... Out of control. Yeah, like when you can't even recognize them as problems, they don't even necessarily look like the same problems in other people. Because like, well, no, like that's just our stuff. So it's fine, though. I did recognize recognize the problems in this way. He did. Where I was like, oh, Tyler's got this problem and Morgan needs to da-da-da-da-da. Because... The problems I was recognizing were still like stuff I was like. Yeah, we can recognize was... your problems. No, because, right, 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 because right, right. I had some deception. So like I could recognize whack, but it was because I was whack. And you had a really hard time with how Morgan was treating Tyler. I think because that like was something you weren't getting either in your relationship. Like She got to respect you, right. Doc. Like we mostly Morgan, wanted to... <laughs> That's what you said all the time. We wanted to control, though. Like, her and I were controlling our relationships, yeah. and it made you two probably feel a little out of... You weren't as in control or as respected as you wanted yeah. to be. Richard and, so I would leave, yeah. Richard and I would leave Cry our together. relationships with you guys and just affirm each other. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, and dog. Morgan and, Morgan and I would just look in the mirror and, like, cold stare ourselves. <laughs> You got it, girl. <laughs> you, girl, uh, you don't need anybody else, okay? You pull yourself right. together. This is totally if, fine. If Morgan don't love you, I love you, bro. <laughs> <laughs> no, but why is that actually exactly how it went? Oh, <laughs> it was. Like, oh, you guys, like, filled in each other's, like, love languages that weren't. You need some words of affirmation, dog? I got you. <laughs> but also, like, you had to keep him in a certain position, too. Like, your your relationship with Tyler also had its own deception, I feel. So, I don't oh, know yeah, if it was kinda... all pure. Yeah, it was. I mean, it couldn't mm-hmm. have been, right? I mean, it was, it, our, it was a house of cards just waiting to come down, though, for sure. But uh, no, that's so... an interesting question. so once the house of cards all came down which as the listener of both of y'all's interviews um we did get to that point in both of your interviews the house of cards comes crumbling down and something that i really appreciated and i think a lot of listeners appreciated about natalie's interview is that 
in describing how you were set free from lies as truth set in that you have a good heart, that you're lovable, um, that everything changed and yet certain things mm. and in certain ways, nothing changed. Right. And so that's something we hear a lot of people say is like the love of God comes in and everything changes and yet nothing changes. And so in your story, it was very clear, like for, you know, first half of the podcast, you were describing this tumultuous relationship where you're not even sure if Richard loves you or you're pretty positive that he doesn't because he just loves himself. And then you're like pretty positive that you have to work for all of these things. And so there's this habit built up in your relationship, but then all of a sudden love comes in, truth comes in. And for the second, and this is what actually made me cry when I texted you that I had tears. Oh, you cried? Yeah, just a little what bit. All right, relax, relax. Aww. Okay. <clears throat> so <laughs> this was the part that did was you said something near the end, just kind of in passing about how you still do have conflicts. Like you guys have, years and years of these habits in your relationship built up, but you know that Richard loves you and he knows that you love him. Mm. And so in that way, like, and it was almost like just really quick in passing, everything has changed in that regard. Mm -hmm. And yet there's still like things that are happening. So tell us about that, like how everything has changed. And yet there's certain things that obviously are still you know, you guys are working out. What's that? What that? What has that been like for you guys? Do you want to start? Since I kind of already went. No, you go that. first. Um, yeah, I don't. <laughs> She's like, no, I, I want think to. that, like, definitely that weight lifted, right? Like that weight of just kind of the hopelessness, right, was able to go away. And I think at first, um, my goodness, I think at first it was just kind of just so freeing to be out from underneath that so that when the patterns came back, it was really startling. And like I had said, like it really kind of shook me and my confidence um, in what had happened um, because I realized I hadn't forgiven my, forgiven my husband. Um, not all the way. I tried to, you know, just mentally choose it, but it hadn't really happened. Uh, and so I think that it was kind of naive. We just kind of like thought it was all gone. And so it, it's like an exercise in continuing to believe that this is new and healed. Um, and there is still possibly some reconciliation that may still need to happen and has happened since, since like both of us individually became free. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think when I think about how all this has happened and I think about it in your guys's life and in our life, what happened first was one of us, what was revealed to one of us was that we were loved and nothing really changed when one of us, when it was revealed to that, that we were loved in our relationships, like something changed in our heart and with our relationship with God. And there was like this opening and this just like, Oh, all of this stuff that I thought, you know, it may not be true, but nothing really changed in our relationship 
until there was months of loving each other. And not loving each other, one person loving the other one. Because even at first, there was doubtfulness on what the motivation for the love was. So for Morgan, you're looking at Tyler and he's loving you in a way like he, you know, it's just almost like how he always had loved you. But after all of this thing and you're wondering about his motivation and you're positioning him as, well, his motivation is for X, Y, Z. It isn't because of this. It isn't because of that. And I don't know when you, um, and there's this part in the story that I didn't say in, in, in my podcast. And that is after I preached at this church, uh, after I preached at this church, um, I'm looking at Natalie when I'm preaching, I can't really look at anybody, but when I'm preaching at this church, I see her, she's wrestling with the kids, like trying to figure out, you know, she's in the pew. And so I didn't really focus on her too much. And then that afternoon we're in the car driving and she said, your sermon made me cry three times. And I was like, huh? And I was like, why? Why? And she's like, because the gospel is so good. And I was like, oh, and this was early August. This is a month and a half before, almost two months before anything like any kind of God really loving her. But it had been months of me after realizing, oh, I'm self-centered as a mug and I do this for this. And I, and so before when I would wash the dishes or try to be around the kids, obviously I wanted to help, but there was also some expectation that comes with it or there's something that I want from it. And it took months for her to, to be like, Oh, he's doing this because he loves me and not doing it because, you know, he wants to get this or that. Do you want to comment on that? What, what do you think? That, yeah, the motivation was hard to trust at first. And so then we would both have to recognize that, I was still positioning Richard as this person who had not been restored, you know, to this, with this new heart. And that because of that, it was like, I was believing lies about him and I was really just stuck. And so we had to, and we had quite a few conversations where he would tell me, you're just, you're just not seeing me through, you know, the spirit. And so, yeah, this was like afterwards. Yeah. yeah. Oh, do you want to go back to that church no, service? No, I'm just talking about no, as as <laughs> we've been moving through this thing, seeing somebody for the right motivation, even sometimes when they don't have it, I think Right. We give each other grace. I think that's something that helps a lot is like and the thing is it's not just like, oh, I'm just gonna give him grace and I'm gonna like swallow all my feelings. It's like two parts. It's like, first of all, I can give my husband grace in this moment. And then second, I'm not like eating any feelings because they are what they are, they're just feelings. And they may be trying to tell me certain things about myself and position me in in, you know, this way so that all I see is being taken advantage of. All I can see is his selfishness and that he's taking something from me. But it's like, I also free myself from that too. I can recognize who I am and who I am, like I said before, can't be taken advantage of. I, 
I can give and I can take care of people. And so it's like just so simple once you take self and the protection of self out of it. Because it's not just because before we used to try that thing where we would give each other the benefit of the doubt, but it was like only half of it was there because still it's like you're trying to ignore something being taken from you. You're you're giving something you don't want to give and you can try to pretend that the other person is not doing anything against you, Hmm. but it doesn't really last long. And so if I can remember who I am. And that I'm free, filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm just not somebody, you know, who has this limited supply of anything. Yeah. And I think for me, like grace, we have to understand what grace is. This is where like the rubber meets the road, where grace is actually teaching you and showing you your old mindset, your new mindset. And I've told this story a lot, but I don't think I've told it on here. And uh, one time I was in a in a grocery store and I got a text from Tyler and it was about how your mom had heard about my heart being changed and you told her like with the same energy that Richard used to get on me in college about doing this and that now he's using that same energy to talk to people about how they're free from sin. And she was so happy about this and so moved that she cried and you texted me that. And I, I remember the feeling looking at my phone, seeing that she cried because of some new version of me. And immediately there came this feeling like, well, what was so bad about the old me? Right. How funny is that, right? If you guys have heard our podcasts, uh, you know what was wrong with the old me. But I was like, what was so bad about the old me? And immediately, this is what Grace does. Grace comes and says, Richard, that's pride. And I destroyed pride at the cross. You are not a prideful person. You don't have to live with pride. And so Grace immediately says, yeah, Richard, this is where you're going with this. And so I texted you back and I was like, bro, pride's messing with me, but uh, pride's dead. Jesus became it. And you had no idea what I was talking about. You were like, yeah, bro. <laughs> but later on, it was I had like to so out of left field. <clears throat> uh, I was like, thanks for that text, but it's messing with me. And so <laughs> even even when like I've had expectations for my wife, I remember one time it was my birthday and I had these expectations and it just like they were not met and I was manipulating her with my attitude and my, you know, and I remember I turned over in bed. One of those, one of those turnovers that is a little extra just so the other person oh, knows I'm familiar. That turned over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe you can relate. So I turned over like, <laughs> <laughs> and immediately on the, uh, Grace was like, you being self-centered as a mug, bro. And I was like, oh, oh, I, oh, this is about me, huh? And so she was already about, I was, I was fine. She was about to fall asleep. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I'm thinking like the, the, that manipulation of that turnover is really going to get her. Right. And she's just like, okay, cool story, bro. I'm Snoozing. Tired. Yeah, whatever. And so, I remember, and I don't know, I want to know what you thought about this, but I was just like, I'm being self-centered as a mug. I'm sorry. 
And then I turned Aww. back over and went to sleep. Did you have any idea what was going on with me? Yes. <laughs> I always know. It's Natalie. Of course she knew. <laughs> what did you think about that? Well, because probably like leading up to that, you had like been really like paying attention to me, very attentive, <laughs> like eye contact. You guys and, can like, read between the lines. Gentle, like kind <laughs> Richard. And so I knew what was happening. <laughs> no! No! I'm so, so but here, that's where grace comes in, yo. Right? And shows us like you don't have to live like that anymore. But if the gospel right. is not good enough... <laughs> Like, that's what it all comes down to. Your gospel has to be good enough for you to, to, not, to deny yourself, right? And so right, much, right. so many of people's gospel is not good enough to deny themselves. But when it is, then it's on. Something that Natalie said reminded me of, you know, we got the Facebook group um, where it's this community of people who are encouraging each other and testifying of God's goodness and stuff like that. It's called the Love Reality Gospel Community. And in that, one of the rules is give each other the benefit of the doubt. Give each other the benefit of the doubt. And so something that Natalie said reminded me of that, like coming, just like remembering to position the other person uh, in the spirit and, or, you know, second Corinthians five, not regarding them according to the flesh. Right. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and this, like believing the best about each other, the way it looks like in a, a Facebook group is somebody might post something and somebody else immediately might hear a word or a phrase that makes them go down a rabbit hole of wrong theology. And instead of positioning the person like, Oh wow, this is really beautiful what they're saying. Like I can tell there, there, there's some kind of heart transformation they're trying to describe. They're thinking, wait a second, do they believe in da 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 da? And then in their replies, you can tell it's like a, a defense goes up against what they think they might be saying because they are so used to being on the defense. So then because they're so used to being yeah. on the defense, they can't actually believe the best about the other person. Um, they can't, uh, what's, what's the actual, they can't give them the benefit of the doubt. And so I was reminded about like probably why that's a rule. Like how we kind of came up with that was probably you living your life and being like, huh, I need to, position others in the way that God has positioned me. Mm -hmm. And so is that kind of like an accurate description of like what that's like now? Oh yeah. I would say for sure. Um, just understanding that even when, if Richard is acting in a way that I could call out as being like, that is selfish, you know, <laughs> he is definitely not, you know, did the Holy spirit tell him to do that? No. And so I could come at him like that. <laughs> and uh Holy Spirit check. We uh we can't do that. But the thing is is like something I recently heard from my brother. I was talking to him about my relationship and he was saying, you know, recognizing that if Richard is acting that way, maybe it's just not even about like it's not between he and I anymore. Maybe it's temptation that's using, you know, certain lies that landed for him before he's falling back into this pattern, this old pattern. And the devil is tempting him to get at me to actually get at this relationship to tear it down. Mm -hmm. So it's not even like the struggles between us anymore. It's like something is just this outside force is trying to get at us through each other. 
And so mm-hmm. it's like even more important when like you think about it that way to think about putting him back where truth puts him. Hmm. Because it's not so much that we should attack the words that are being said or the slight that, you know, he did something to me. It's more you aren't this. You aren't the the actions that you've done. I know that. What's true about you is this. And it's like we keep it we keep it where it should be. It's a fight against temptation of these lies. It's a fight against like the outside forces. And so if we call out truth, then we're directly targeting that instead of targeting each other and Mm -hmm. making it into just like, I mean, just like an ugly thing. It Mm -hmm. can become just a much simpler, quicker solution. And that's why I think if you, if you look at them through the spirit, you're putting them back in that truth. Like this is true about you and that it just like, yeah. No, I, I think I learned something this weekend because I went to hear Dan Moeller preach a couple times and I'm walking to so cool. the front so of cool. the, like, I was like, I'm just going to get the front, the most front we, seat. We, we were late and I was Absolutely. like, I don't care. I'm walking down to the front. And so the first, like I walk into this church and because of my culture, I'm not used to like a, a mega church and like you walk in and it was just like a, it was just banging in there. It was just a like people up front and there there's like at least 45, if not 60 people on the stage for the praise service. And I'm, I'm not like, I'm not really about it. Laying on the ground crying. Oh, there's people doing everything. Oh, different. So I'm going to the front. I'm like, all right, well, I got to find me and uh, my brother-in-law Elias are moving to the front. And I look around the corner at the front row and Dan Moeller is on his knees and he's got both hands up and his eyes are closed. And I'm like, oh, that's the first time I've ever seen happy Dan in person. You know, I'm looking at him and he's just praising. And I'm like, oh, that's what's up. So we find seats. And because I don't like, I was just like kind of put off by the music and the people up front. Like I'm, I'm low. I'm not low key in this. I'm like, I don't buy this. Like, you know, I'm just these guys, you know, it just feels weird to me. Then Dan gets up and he's just like, this music was incredible. He's like, I look at the stage and I know that every one of y'all believe what you're singing about. He's like, I I normally don't vibe with music like this, but y'all were speaking to me. Is that what Dan said? Yeah. He said, he's like, I don't usually vibe with music like this. (laughs) Yeah, That's a direct quote. (laughs) And so I'm sitting here just like, yo, Dan looks at everybody up here through the eyes of Jesus. Like that's how he sees all of these people. And I'm sitting here looking through the eyes of, "Mm, I'm not sure about this. Then after the, after he got off the stage, like it was, he preached for two and a half hours and like right when he comes off the stage, I beeline. He doesn't see anybody but me. And I'm like, <laughs> Dan, I got to tell you something, bro. You changed my life. And like I'm holding onto his shoulder and he's like, he can't move. But I realize I didn't have to hold onto his shoulder because he is looking at me and his eyes are the most sincere eyes I've ever seen. And he is intently, sincerely listening to every single word I am saying. And responding to my question or responding to my comments. It's like, 
oh, yes, brother. Oh, thank you for this testimony. Oh, and it wasn't like trying to speed me up. He was just locked in to me and me only. And I'm just like, his eye, and I know he says it from the front sometimes that people see Jesus in his eyes and no cap, I saw Jesus in his eyes. Like this guy, and I walked away from that thing and I'm thinking like, how do I look at people? How do I look at people? How do I look at my wife? Like if she does something sideways, I immediately know what it is, right? I immediately know. And I'm thinking like, I I have to get to this place where I don't even know. Like I'm just looking and that just comes with, it's not like a strategy. I think it just comes with time spent in the secret place, communing with my father and my my vision starts changing and like i don't think yeah dan giving them was giving them the benefit of the doubt quote unquote but i don't think he really has to give them the benefit of the doubt i think he believes and i think what that does to them if they are up there and they're not up there for the right reason and dan says that i think it changes something for them Hmm. you know what i'm saying like the way jesus sees you like what he looked at zacchaeus right He's like, come down that from there, bro. And whether Zacchaeus was up there for the right or wrong reasons, all of a sudden it became the right reason. It's like, oh, oh man, the master has seen me. Um, and we have that capability in how we look at each other. But there's no secret. You have to be in communion with your father and him pouring into you and you knowing exactly who you are so you can just see that in people. And so... That's how, like, we're going to be able to look at our spouses. And this is this is the bottom line. Um, I know I've been going on a mini sermon here, but this is the bottom line on what will actually make a marriage last. And it isn't communication skills. Communication is great, right? Sure, it'd be better to communicate well than to miscommunicate. But... Um, people that go to therapy and they learn how to communicate better end up right back or divorcing. And it's because it, it's not about, it's what you believe about the person. You can't fix the underlying. If we learn to, uh-huh. to really communicate and what I believe about her is that she's whack, then I will communicate much more succinctly. You're whack, you know? Yeah, right. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> you are ruining my life. Is Does that, is that play? He'll repeat it back yeah. to me and we'll be calm. And... I'm hearing that you don't think you're ruining my life. <laughs> an I statement. But I believe you are ruining my life. So, but the bottom line is, what do you actually believe about that person? And that will determine if you're going to make it. And then the gospel comes in. And it's like, yo, this is what you get to believe about that person because it's true about you. It's true about them. They have this. They have this. And so that kind of just spoke to me this weekend. Mm. Man. And when you get to look at somebody that way, it's you know directly because you know God sees you that way. So you get to see Natalie with that sort of love and grace and mercy strictly and simply because that is exactly how God sees you. And so that is what empowers you to live and to love that way. And it's interesting because I, a couple of weekends ago, was with a group of girls for a bachelorette party. And I was just going in 
on love and relationships because I'm like, this is my opportunity. Like we're literally here for love and for marriage. So I am just going to um, talk about what it actually is to love because I didn't know what it was and now I do and I won't stop talking about it because it's completely changed my life. And so I'm sitting there talking about all the crap that Tyler did in our marriage and how crazy was I was in our marriage. And these girls are looking at me like, well, how did you guys overcome this? Like, I don't understand how you can trust him. Like, how can you guys really love each other? And so I'm, I'm kind of going into that, the love and the forgiveness portion. And then this girl looks at me and she's like, okay, so what about your needs? And I was like, what are my needs? Like, you tell me, like, what, what are you referring to? She's like, well, you know, like attention and like affection or like affirmation. Like, what about those things? Like you're saying, if you have God's love in you, you don't need anything, but you're a human. So what about all that? Um, so how would you guys respond to a question such as that? You go first. I just spoke for a half hour. Okay, I will speak for a half hour. <laughs> um, <laughs> I kind of feel like I'm a broken record, though, because it always comes back to this same thing. It's like when I was able to experience God's love for me and understand why he could love me, it 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 changed who I even saw myself as, right? So I see myself as this person now who has a new heart that's filled with the Holy Spirit and it's kind of like I'm as full as I could get. Like I'm I'm done, I'm complete and perfect. So mm. a need can arise and it's a temptation. It's an outside thing that will tell me I need something. But if I remember that I'm whole and I'm perfect, then it's like, oh, I don't need that. It's not something that I'm missing. It's not something that even the feeling maybe that's telling me I'm missing it. I don't even have to entertain the feeling or buy into it. Um, also, if it, if there's a need arising and it's really pressing on me, then I, I recognize that that's a lie that's putting self back out there as a mm. thing that is alive mm. in me. And so that thing is gone. Like I had a transplant, right? Something got taken out and something got put in. And so that thing is completely gone. Um, and so it's just like, oh, I don't, I don't have to listen to it because that's coming from an old flesh feeling. <clears throat> so something that you said, something that you said, um, I had a conversation recently where I was trying to explain the same thing. Like when we receive God's love, then it actually enables us to love others the way that he loves us. And you use the phrase, um, once I experienced God's love, right? Once mm -hmm. I experienced God's love. And that was the concept that people that I was explaining this to couldn't wrap their minds around. Like, right. it seems so abstract. So could you describe like experiencing God's love? How is it that you can, first of all, like, ex like how tangible when you say experiencing mm -hmm. God's love, how tangible is it? And like, does it actually physically like satisfy? Yeah, I, it was so tangible for me. And that's the thing, like some people didn't have like a tangible physical experience of recognizing you're at the end of your rope. You are completely lost. You've tried everything. You've 
and that's where I was. I, I felt so much desperation. And then for that desperation to be replaced with hope and freedom and peace, for me, that feeling was what I felt. Um, and so, but I think even more than just like that feeling, I was able to believe that he loved me. And so for me, it's really like the verse, like tasted and seen, like it was something that I bought into wholly. And there've been other things that like have come along and I've like said to God in secret place, like, okay, now that's something that I believe in my heart. Like there are certain things he's taught me that went from like my head to my heart. And, um, and like once I feel like that change happens for me where it's like, oh, I've, I feel it in my heart. It's like done. It's like overdone. Like it can't be shaken as easy, like at all. It's not, I don't know. It's not like this weak little idea that I'm holding onto. It's like I have bought into it. I've seen what, what he did for me. And it's like impossible not to believe it. And I, I don't know how to explain it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that if we can't deny ourselves, you know, we the, the pastor will get up and preach and say, deny yourself, do, don't love yourself unto death. If you feel like doing that is giving something up, then you haven't heard the gospel. And right. this is the drum I'm always banging. Like, if if you can't deny yourself, you haven't heard it yet. If you can't deny it, you don't know what actually happened. Like, right. For me, it was just like, oh, he loved me first. This is how he loved me first. Uh, He forgave me before I asked. He took care of the sin problem. He has made me holy, blameless, and righteous now. Everything, it has to be now. Because I'm expected to deny myself now. I'm expected to pick up my cross and follow him now. So am I supposed to do that now for something that's to come later? But most people would tell you, yeah, look, you're supposed to sacrifice now because later it will be it'll be worth it. It'll all be worth it. It'll all be worth it for this later thing that happens. Yo, if that's your gospel, like it's going to end up being discipline for you. It's going to be like, okay, don't eat this cookie because I'm working on my beach body for later. So and not eating this cookie, this will help me. Da, 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 da. And so I will have discipline and not eat the cookie. But no, it's not about later. It's about now that he's poured his spirit into you now that he's given you, given you every spiritual blessing now that you're whole, that you're complete forgiven, you're forgiven before you even asked for it. And so if you, and this is the thing, the pastor will get up there and be like, first of all, if you're complaining, you're self-centered. Like when, when, when the girl at the bachelorette party says, well, what about yourself? She doesn't know this. But that's 100% self-centered. It, it couldn't be anything but Literally. 100% self-centered. And, mm-hmm. But if your gospel's not good enough, then you got to hold on to that. And my gospel, not mine, Paul's, Jesus's, the one that's found in Scripture. The gospel. <laughs> it's, it, you're covered. It's more than enough for you to be able to mm-hmm. deny yourself. You're actually not giving up anything except for that wax stuff that you came in with. Well, and I think that maybe that's what I experienced, but couldn't quite articulate because it was the freedom really was that it was available right now. 
that mm. it, because I think that's what had always kept me was like all of the work I saw I had to do. And that moment when I realized just take it, like reach out and accept it. It was, that was freedom because it was something that didn't depend on me at all. And it could happen instantly. And yeah, I think that's kind of what I was feeling. Yeah. How sad is it that people don't know they can have it now? Like they're waiting for it. What's the deal with that? It's sad. (laughs) It is because it's so much better than that. So something like, I feel like the beauty of where you guys are right now and your testimony up to this point is like we said, like a lot of the testimonies on this podcast have been very dramatic, uh, like clear cut something happened and and shifted. Um, Or at least people, I, I know for a fact, oftentimes people get that perception, even if it isn't like that. Right. And I, I'm just curious if you guys can describe a little bit more um, because your testimony really is an encouragement to people who have tasted, but then their lives don't have this dramatic shift and they come into it with this expectation that like, oh, God's love is for me now. Mm-hmm. Like it's mine now. I have the Holy Spirit now. And they like, you know, they have this even emotional response and they are just pumped about God's love for them. But then their life is still the same. and Maybe it's, you know, for Richard and I, it's that need for affirmation. All of a sudden we feel that desire to be affirmed or you stumble in the patterns of your former ignorance. And so for a lot of people that might be going back to addictions um, or in relationships, um, you respond impatiently and you do something you're like, wait, but this, I thought that, I thought that the gospel fixed this, mm. Right. And then when it, when something comes up, the temptation is like, so I guess it's not real. Mm-hmm. I guess what happened isn't real. What would you say, like from your experience now over the last, what, 15, 16 months that you guys have been walking in freedom together, mm-hmm. um, what would you say to encourage people in that space? Mm. Well, I feel like for me, it's such, it used to be such a... <laughs> a really devastating feeling to stumble because I so easily, easily believe that it was something wrong with me and it's my fault. And so recently we were having a conversation about something that had to do with our relationship. And Richard said, and he'll say things in like absolutes, but for me it was like devastating because he said like, you never do this or you always do that. And it was something I had recently been struggling with, like, God is fixing this, you know, he is doing this. And I was believing and it like shook me because it's like, he, I am not changed. Like God's fixing it, but nothing is, you can't see it. So I was like really upset and like very, like kind of shut down the conversation. Cause I was like, I just, you, I can't, like, I can't take you telling me that it isn't fixed because it's too easy for me to believe it. Hmm. So I went and got in the shower and I was like, praying to God, just kind of opening my heart to him. And he told me, and it wasn't in a bad way, but he was like, who is Richard to tell you how Mm. your relationship is? And it wasn't like he didn't love Richard, but he was just like, I told you your relationship was healed. Like, who are you to let him shake you? Like, don't let him shake you. He has all his other stuff too. Like, who is Richard, you know? Mm. 
I'm God. I see the truth. I know the potential. I know who you guys are. And I mean, it was like, oh, and I was like, perfectly fine after that. Like, all of that (laughs) self doubt, spiraling down into like negativity, because I think my depression, depressive, like side, that's how like the depression sets in is like that spiral down. And God just like arrested it in that moment. And it it was yeah, that's what I needed really, you know. Hmm. Like So on that true? really quick that that could sound like, you know, who is Richard? And somebody would be mm-hmm. like, Okay, that's great. It helped Natalie in that moment, but it sounds like it would have caused a wedge between her and Richard. But as you, right. you know, finished and you were done with taking a shower and you come out. Well, what, it was what more just shifted? like It was more just like it gave Richard a pass in a way, the way God was talking about Richard. It wasn't like, it was just like he give him a pass because I'm working with him, too. Like, we're all growing here. And so it just took it like the pressure off of him because I allowed Richard to speak so strong over my life for years. He Mm. told me what my value was Mm. for years. And obviously, he's not great at it. And so, or wasn't good at it. And so, I would just live and die by every decision he made. And it would definitely, like, get me. Like, I lived by Richard's opinion. And so, it was like, I don't know. It was just like, what is true about you? Stay with that. Like, stay with what's actually true and who defines your value. That's and so, in God telling you, like, yeah. Oh, she got so in him telling you this, it actually enabled you to love her? Oh, okay, tell me about it. No, I don't even remember the argument. But when she got out of the shower, I knew she went in there upset. I don't know what I said. It was probably all, not probably, I'm sure it was based on lies that mm-hmm. I was feeling or whatever. And she comes out of the shower and she's just like, okay, let's talk about this. And it was like ground zero and we're going to talk about it from a different angle and the angle is truth because when we're whenever we're having an argument there's this elephant in the room called truth and we can either look at the truth and be like um let's talk about truth or most likely one of us needs to look at that truth and become love in that moment you know if neither of us look at that truth and become love then the argument's just going to spiral and it will go back to looking like what it used to look like and if that happens like there's a little time where we have to forgive each other and we have to, you know, like reconcile and, and, and speak truth over ourselves. It, it, it never ends um, like it used to. But if one of us grabs onto that truth in that moment and that truth is there because it's a huge part of both of our lives now. If one of us takes a look over to that truth and is just like, yeah, I just need to, to love this person right now. Like it takes two to tango, but it takes one to bring peace. And hopefully both of us are bringing that peace. Um, but when one of us does, almost immediately the other person's just like, yeah, you right. Like, I am loved. You are loved. And I, I was reading, I read First Corinthians this morning. And what spoke to me this morning about it was that, like, Paul's talking to these husbands and wives. And he's like, yo, you guys... um." If you need to get married, go ahead and get married. And, and if that temptation's going on, get married and, and squash that thing. But it's kind of like he's saying, you guys are the stewards of your own lives. Like, and how I used to look at marriage was like, 
Natalie and I are here. And since we're together, we're here to make ourselves like we're making each other so much better now. We're making each other so much better. Um, and that's a possibility 100%. But it's almost like marriage reveals rather than changes you. It's kind of like basketball in this way where we like to talk about basketball. Like basketball you know, builds character. Basketball reveals character. And your marriage will reveal what you believe about yourself. And then that will reveal what you believe about the other person. And so Paul's like, yo, be a steward of your own heart. So if she's out here needing me and I'm out here needing her, which was what about 11 years of our marriage? Mm -hmm. Like if we're just out here needing each other and taking from each other, living at each other's expense, like we're believing this false thing, like who we are is determined by our marriage rather than who we are is determined by this outside entity. And now we just get to pour into each other and it's not about me. It's not about her. And almost because we believe this now, almost every fight that ends, which they, they all end, like it just, I feel like grounds us more into that truth. Mm -hmm. Like, oh yeah, this isn't about me where the temptation came and I'm, Either I made it about myself or I didn't. Either I laid my life down or I didn't. And when I don't, I'm encouraged to just, yo, Richard, you're loved. Lay your life down. The gospel is good enough for you to not take offense, for you to love. Um, yeah, so I don't even remember the question, but I just went off. That's good. Good stuff. So good stuff. Okay, so um, I would say... One of the most recurring themes that I have in conversations with people about marriage um, and one of the most consistent questions I get is related to forgiveness. Well, then how do you really forgive? How do you really do this? How do you really move on? Um, and you guys had 11 years of stuff. Famine. Of like bad. <laughs> <laughs> 11 years right so like and, and it's dangerous people will play this game all the flipping time and it drives me insane well it wasn't that bad like we weren't that horrible like my sins weren't that no if you were living in sin you were living in death like point blank don't do this my sins weren't as bad as theirs like it just drives me insane it's called shining so, it up it's called shining a turd. <laughs> Put down the towel. Just be real. So, yeah. And so, um, like, there was bad stuff. Like, sure, there wasn't, like, infidelity or whatever. But there was difficult, devastating mm -hmm. stuff. And that just is what it is because you were, in fact, living in darkness, like, in sin. Yeah. So now that you're not, tell me what forgiveness looks like i'll go you first because okay, i think good, it, was, good, good. it was easier oh i was laughing at something else <laughs> she touched my back okay. and went up. uh <laughs> you know what right after this thing this weekend in september and it's maybe october 1 or whatever i forget maybe it was september 30 like my life got so crazy right after that and natalie was like god's timing was so awesome oh yeah it was so awesome because now I'm going through this thing and then this becomes the beginning of me losing my job and God had weighed it all out. And Natalie was like, 
I explained everything to her. Yo, this is what's happening. Da, 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 da. And she was like, Richard, I'm not scared at all. I have no fear whatsoever. I am, you know, we are, I'm, we're riding. We'll, God loves us. And so, like, I needed that. And I, I, of course, I didn't need it, right? Like Paul says, he doesn't need it. But, man, that's so awesome. Thank you in, in Philippians 4. Um, and so I felt like for me, forgiving her, it just came with the territory of understanding I was forgiven. Mm. And so I had put down that um, I stopped beating myself up like in February of 2019, February or March. And so I was just living through like, oh, well, like, how can I not forgive? You know, like this is, this has all happened to me. All this stuff I was dealing with, it's over. God is so awesome. And then when we went through this thing and me losing my job and her, you know, it was kind of like this dramatic moment in both of our lives. Like all this stuff is happening, you know, and so it was a lot of that. But then when that ended and it was over and I'm like working at Amazon now, I'm working at an Amazon warehouse. Um, then the the rubber started meeting the road more and more. And then that just practice of forgiving each other, you know, started coming in where, you know, you look at truth. You just got to keep looking at truth. I think it, but like I said, I think it's different for me than it was for, for you, mm. if you want to speak on. Well, I mean, I talked in my individual podcast about some things that still had like a hold of me. And so that, but that just happened recently. Um, sorry, my thing is weird. Where I was able to let go of some of that hate. But I think, I mean, there were other things kind of like if we go back to this time in our life where Richard was losing his job. If it had happened a year prior, my lack of forgiveness would have destroyed us at that stage because I would still be holding against him everything he had ever done wrong. I would have seen all the things that had happened with his job and how, you know, they were, they had a problem with certain things. I would have seen those as all his fault. I would have blamed him for them, I for those things, and I would have held him responsible for them. And I would have put on him the added pressure of, you've ruined my life pretty much is probably mm. where it would have landed. Like I'm living in this basement. I thought I was going to come down here and get to go back to school. That didn't work. You know, we were going to get out of this house. Now there's no end in sight out of the basement. Now there's no end in sight because you don't have a job. You aren't taking care of your family. You aren't doing what's right. And so that's probably how I would have looked at everything. But because I had forgiven him, I was able to see that his heart was toward me and his family and that he was, his motives were pure. His um, actions were coming from a pure heart, from a changed heart, from a heart that wasn't selfishly motivated. And so even if, you know, those people who were trying to get him out of the job saw things he had done a certain way, I didn't see them that way. I had seen him prayerfully making those decisions. And so it gave me peace because I was able to see him in actually what was happening and not through this like veil of hurt and 
and anger toward him. And so being able to be in that mindset, I mean, it saved us for sure. It kept everything really clear, gave us a lot of clarity. It allowed me to be able to deny like the temptation of fear as a motivator. Um, I didn't have, because I think my reaction also would have been like, I have to fix this and I need to figure this out. And like, he's blown it. And so I need to step up. And that would have been really ugly. Um, but then going forward, like I talked about in my podcast, yeah, there were things that I had chosen, you know, in my brain to forgive. And I had, because I, I, again, like I've seen what God had done for me. I saw how he has given me a new heart and I wanted to forgive, but I just, I knew it hadn't left yet. It hadn't gone anywhere yet. Um, and so that was, yeah, like a really devastating feeling and then put a lot of doubt in my mind and I kind of went over that whole thing how God was able to show me what is available to us in forgiveness that it's not something that you have to reconcile and just take it you can just release it and be free from it yeah. and so that was even just having that conversation with him and being really transparent with him about where I had been um, and kind of what God had done for me, it just kind of freed me. Cause I think God or God, I think the devil also used that lie of guilt. Like I had a level of guilt that he just would put on me all the time. Like, you know, that you had this thought about your husband or you felt this way about your husband. And it definitely put like walls up between us because of the guilt, because I had ever felt that way. Um, so being free of that also kind of cleared the air just between us in that way. I mean, of course it helped me to just, and I told him, I was like, now I feel like I can love you even more because mm. that, that like really like hard heart feeling that unforgiveness had finally gone away. So I have this um, picture in my mind of the way that human beings kind of operate within the world. And it's like, you know, the, the super soakers, water guns. All right. <laughs> like everybody's going mm-hmm. around with, <laughs> with super soaker 3000s. Okay. And you know, the, the big thing with super soakers. Okay. Just, just track with me. All right. It's just tough. It's tough. It may work out. We're on a it, journey. It's We're going to see to. where it ends up. All We're right. going to see where this goes. Is you always want to get a water gun when I was little with the biggest tank because the water gun that can have the most water, then you can spray the longest without having to refill, right? But everybody's running around and they can only give as much as they've received. And so they're running around until they're on empty and they don't know when they might be able to refill again. And so maybe what they'll do is they'll run around, they run out, and then they, they go to somebody else, like if it's a, a water gun fight, somebody on their team that might be able to share a little water from what they have so that they can both have some. But now that person has a little less. Mm. And so what they've got in their reserve just is depleting. And so what we're talking about, like when you're talking about becoming love, it's going through life, like before it was going through life and people just taking from the water that you have. 
people just taking from your reserves and it just gets less and less. And eventually you've just got nothing left to give. And if you do have something, you're definitely not going to waste it on them. Right. But then this is what, where the gospel changes everything. Cause the gospel says like, whoever comes to me, I will give them living water and they'll never thirst again. Or it talks about a river of life flowing out from within. Mm -hmm. And so it's, instead of being like a super soaker, what it is, is it's like a a sprinkler connected to a hose. (laughs) Yeah. Literally like we're connected. The water's turned on Mm -hmm. and the shift is that what you're describing is that forgiveness, love, grace, and mercy, um, compassion, all of these things that we want to give to people. Mm We can only give if we first received it. Right. And so by actually being connected to the vine, right? Jesus says, I'm the vine Mm -hmm. and you are the branches. Like by actually being connected, we have an endless supply. But everything I've been describing, it's like, it's like, well, before when I was running around disconnected from the vine, Mm -hmm. I had a really hard time bearing fruit. Mm -hmm. And now that I'm connected to the vine, like I do what a vine does and I produce fruit. Mm-hmm. And so in this interaction with Richard that you described, Natalie, it's like this conflict, you know, old patterns, whatever. But what God reminds you is, hey, he is not the vine that you're connected to. Right. I am. And I tell you what kind of fruit that you provide. And so this, what's interesting is that so far in this um, conversation, you guys have described in a relationship, the like the inner workings back and forth between the two of you and how that caused problems that now in the mm-hmm. spirit you guys have been walking and those have been like being healed, being reconciled. Mm-hmm. And like, so since your hearts have been transformed, now you can actually come and undo things together. Mm-hmm. I've got my fingers and I'm like pulling them apart. Like you can, you can mm-hmm. reconcile all the little things as you're doing that. Right. But In relationships, there are, and this is what you just touched on, while there's inner conflict, there's also external circumstances that can cause strain to come Mm -hmm. on a relationship. And so you guys have reconciled and are constantly growing in that intimacy with one another as you've been growing in your intimacy with your father. But there's things from the outside that try to like challenge that. And so Richard, you talked about like one of the very first big challenges that came in was it's looking like I'm going to lose my job. Mm-hmm. And so this is what a year, a year and a half ago that it started looking like you were going to lose your job. And then about a year ago, it was like, was a year yep. ago, February. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Year ago, February, mm-hmm. I lost my job. Mm-hmm. So that's a big external strain. And like, Natalie, I think you're like going to school and working and you got like, y'all have two kids. Like there's external strains as well. Now, Walking in freedom together as external strains come in, like, what does that look like? Talk about those a little bit, what those are, and then how you guys have grown in them together. Well, I mean, I think going along the lines of he lost his job, that's still something that will come up every once in a while. And there's this temptation of we don't know what our next steps are. Because you still don't have the next job, right? No nah, man, we 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 in the basement. <laughs> this so, podcast is recorded in my parents' basement. So it's been a year. 
And we have still no plan, no long-term get on board, start making moves kind of plan. And I, I definitely feel this temptation rise up in me of like impatience and like anxiety wrapped around. Like I need to know what's next. I need to start planning. I have kids who are in school. We need to know where they're going to go to school. I want to know what kind of house I'm going to be in. I want to know if I need to have a new job. Are we moving to a new city? And so the temptation is to take that anxiety that's being motivated by fear, fear telling me that any of those things depend on me, that any of those things are my responsibility or even my problem. Mm -hmm. They're not even my problem. But fear can get a hold of me and then I can take that and direct it at him and say little passive aggressive things like, well, somebody's got to make money or (laughs) (laughs) sure would be nice to have a house someday. Right. And I'll hear those things in my mind. And I don't think I ever said that somebody needs to make money. But that thought has come into my head about three times where he'll say something like, oh, you have to go to work. And I'm like, well, somebody. But praise God, it's like it's a temptation. And I don't have to follow through. I don't have to act on it. I don't even have to target him with that fear that could be pressing in on me. It doesn't even have to erupt into our relationship and there have been a couple times where it has and he's been really good at just being very encouraging and saying what's true like well it's okay that we don't know the next steps um what else do you say you know yeah i think it's probably been difficult in some ways because when you're starting to get that temptation of anxiety i'm just like oh because it's happened to me i'm just like I've been settled in what's up already. Like, I know that God loves me. I know that he knows my heart's desire. And so whenever we're anxious or feeling like that and the other person isn't, then there's like, well, why aren't you? What are you going to do about it? (laughs) Well, when his last um, severance check came, I feel like he had a little crisis Oh yeah, um, no, no. Finances. Okay, let me talk about this. This, this is. Fun. I think I've talked about this on the podcast actually, but oh, sorry. Y'all. No, no, but it's good. <laughs> it's uh the. It was the election. It was Tuesday, November, whatever. Oh yeah. And my last severance check had just came, and uh, <laughs> I put a bunch of money in some stock, and when Donald Trump was gonna win at around two thirty in the morning, and remember, I work at night at this time. I'm seeing like the stocks jumping up and I'm just like, oh, baby, big payday. You know, I I made the right move. And then in the morning when it looks like Biden's going to win, the stock dips a little bit. And I'm like, OK, I'm going to sell. So I sold, but it just dipped and then took off even higher after that. And the stock market was like, we don't care who the president is. We're trying to make money out here. And so I was like, Ugh, and I was so angry. And I came upstairs and I was just angry. And I forget what I even it was like. Something happened in the kitchen or at the breakfast table, and I was just like, like that was the sentiment. Like our child acted like a sweet little angel, and he yelled at them. (laughs) Eat your (laughs) eat your cereal. Just eat your cereal. Don't say nothing. So I went. (laughs) Yeah, the kids. kids, That's the tension. So I went downstairs, and like she's like, "What is going on with you?" And I didn't know what was going on with me. Um, I thought it was like the stock, um, but it was like the stock. It was. My last severance check is up. It's I'm working at an Amazon warehouse at night. It's your value. Like you haven't figured it out, Richard. 
You're not providing. Like, yeah, like not. you had a good job. It was going to get set up. Now you don't have that and you're not providing and you're not this and you're not that and you're not this. And I got like in my feelings and she came down and she's like, babe, you're good. And like she gave me this hug and I like I needed it. <laughs> like at that moment, I was like, thank you for like for being there at this time for me, like for picking me up and encouraging me. And that's what the church is. And that's what our our marriages like. That's what they're for. They're for that kind of goodness. They're for that kind of encouragement for for someone to be like, you're good, babe. I know you're good because I know God loves you. Um, and I love you. That's just that's just facts. But God, God loves you. And it was more about her telling me that God loved me. And I was just. Well, yeah, probably man. also the reassurance that I'm not going to add to your pressure. Oh, because man. I think that's also a lie that like is easy to believe that like I need to motivate my husband to excellence. I need to <laughs> demand certain things from him. Like, don't put up with Can we that. talk about that for a second? Can we just talk to, like, talk to the women out here that maybe are thinking that that kind of motivation actually works? And I maybe, I'm not trying to be selfish right here. He's a little salty. No, it, it just, yeah. like, it just doesn't work. Like, when we feel pressure, like, guys don't well, want to mess up. Right. And when we do, we feel this pressure and it's just... It's heavy. Like if we're not free, that mug is heavy. Well, I'm not sure that that's even specific to gender. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't. I want think that's just to be everybody. Disappointed in you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> so she doesn't sit out when I'm disappointed in her. Oh, I should probably change my strategy. <laughs> well, but I could say now my way of motivating my husband is number one, it's not my job, and I don't even have to do it. Like, it's not even my problem if he's messing up. It's not going to affect me. He's not going to take anything from me. He's not going to hurt me. And so it's so freeing to just maybe see what's wrong, you know, deeper. Like, what is he believing? And is the Holy Spirit giving me an opening here to talk to him about it? If not, then I just do whatever. I think we've all had moments. I don't know. Maybe Morgan... I don't know in this whole last two years, if you've had a time where you're like, I want to motivate Tyler to something. I think you want to motivate him to like leave the house and never come back. Like, um, (laughs) like I want to motivate you to get out my face, but I know Tyler wanted to motivate you in God's love for you. And I wanted to motivate Natalie at first in my old self. I want to motivate her to realize that she was a bad person so she could stop being a bad person. Then I wanted to motivate her that she's this great person. And then she's, you know, we've all like, there's this thing that we're constantly in our old selves. We were trying to motivate each other. Um, Which is selfish. But like, what do you guys think now? I'm, this is a question for you because we've been talking. Here he goes. Here he goes. Talk about that. Those, the motivating stuff and how whack tracks in the studio it is and what, what our mindset should be towards our spouses. This happened last night. What? <laughs> this idea. Yes. Um, on our, on our way to bed. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. It did. I forgot. Yeah. Um, and it's funny because I was so tired. I don't know why, but I I did a lot of weird things yesterday. Would you like to tell everybody what I did? Well, yesterday? here's the thing. All right. So I go to work 
And I work at a PRN job, so I went to that job after my job was over. So I worked extra evening hours. It's great. I love it. Fine. I get home oh. at like 8.45, and there's just stuff everywhere. Like there's food everywhere. There's chips on the ground and cookies on the ground. <laughs> and there's just like dishes everywhere. And I'm just like, what in the world is happening? Mm-hmm. And Tyler comes home after a Bible study and then it's just more of the same. He's just like leaves, he goes to go to bed and just like leaves stuff everywhere and like lights are on. Yeah. And I'm like, what in the world? And so I walk into the room and I'm like, listen, I don't want to play this card, but here I go. I've been working all day and I don't want to come home and just like have to keep working on your behalf. Like I just, I, I don't want to. And he's like, oh, but babe, I was resting and I was just really tired and that's why I left chips everywhere. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I, I hear voice. you. You're right. He's just so pathetic and so tired and he's in bed under the covers telling me all these things. Like, oh, I'm sorry, I'll try to be better. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. So I don't know what – I mean, what, what do you want to highlight there? I was being selfish. Okay, no, bye. No, no. <clears throat> because what struck me – like Morgan said this stuff and – I mean, sure, the words might sound harsh, but also I'm like dying laughing right now because it is ridiculous. I did leave cookies and chips on the floor. With like a movie playing? Mission Impossible Rogue Nation on the TV. Like he wasn't even here. (laughs) And it's not selfish to like, it's not selfish to want a clean house. It's not selfish to want the person you share a home with to not live like a frat boy. That isn't selfish. Mm -hmm. It's just the way that if you allow yourself to be positioned in, I am, yeah, it's coming from entitlement. I don't deserve mm-hmm. this or I shouldn't have to. That can be a mm-hmm. dangerous thing because then that mm-hmm. gives you rights to be nasty. Yes. Ooh, and yep. the rights are dangerous. <laughs> and so dangerous. what, yeah. why I was like sitting in bed with my covers pulled up and Morgan's still like cleaning up after me. Like <laughs> I'm just too tired. Oh to my move. goodness. What, what hit me in that moment was... <laughs> Like, obviously, I just told her, I was like, I'm sorry. I was like, absolutely, you're right. And this, just to be clear, this is not the normal around here. But I can understand why today, like, it is a perfect storm of me being a slob and you wanting to live your life that, like, this would cause more strain. Like, I'm sorry, I'm going to try to do better. And then I was like, but also, like, old us like, you wouldn't have said anything. That's true. I would have been like, this stupid son of a gun. I would have cleaned up after him and, like, not spoken to him for two <laughs> like days. <laughs> banging everything, dropping everything. Right? No, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. And this time she was just like, she just said it. She was like, okay, I'm just going to say it. And that's something that I think we've recognized is that um, the absence of conflict isn't necessarily peace. And so sometimes, like, if you want to avoid the conversation, then you're not actually reconciling, Mm -hmm. right? Because Mm -hmm. things are coming up. But because we actually see each other in the best possible light, then we can actually call out the behaviors that are very, um, you know, counterproductive to love and caring for each other and not taking it personal. Mm -hmm. And so then we can actually have conflict that deepens peace Mm -hmm. it builds trust it's like i can be totally in the wrong and richard will show me grace and i'm like wow (laughs) like i was Mm -hmm. just this nasty moody whatever and he just show me grace well 
let's call it call it out when when somebody disagrees with us and we get in our feelings it's called self-centeredness like why is it so bad for somebody to disagree with us if it's bad it's because we're feeling things about ourselves we need to be right or did it like i should be able to disagree with her and she should be able to disagree with me and you guys should be able to disagree with each other and it shouldn't be a problem it should just be like oh i disagree with you but once we let our feelings uh let it become self-centeredness like that's when it becomes whack tracks and you're always going to have something to disagree about like we have kids and we raise kids together and as soon as it went from like if i disagree with your what you're doing as a parent right now and it used to be i disagree with what you're doing as a parent right now because i'm a good parent and you're a bad parent and that's why i disagree um and so both of us would be defending why we were doing it we would be defending why we were parenting the way we were parenting and now it's like hey i disagree with what you did right there why did you do that and if i'm not self-centered I can listen to her disagreement and be like, oh, okay. And we can talk about it. But that's this thing is like, whenever somebody disagrees with you at your job, in your house, somewhere, if you're getting triggered by it, just know that's the reason and, 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 and get some gospel. I mean, so it's, it's serious. It's self-centeredness. Do you guys agree to disagree? Like, does that, is that something that happens? Or is there disagreement no. that leads to agreement? Right. I think it's, I don't feel like we can ever just like leave it. It, how does it usually end? Like, I don't think we disagree on things that are like trivial. Con- concrete. Like facts. if we disagree that the Gilmore Girls is a horrible show, like you're obviously wrong and I am right. It's the worst show ever produced. <laughs> and we're not going to, we're not going to go into why it's the worst show ever produced. But if we're going to disagree on, like, raising our kids, uh, if we're going to disagree on, um, you know, how we're treating each other or what's right. No, we're going to get to the bottom of that. And when, you know, there's a chance for us to get in our feelings. And that's cool. Like, because truth needs to, to stand out. One of us needs to love each other. Both of us need to love each other. And it's the exercise. And it's sometimes it's, like, not fun. But. You're big, you're tough, you've been filled with the Spirit, you're good, you're righteous, you're holy, blameless. You can do that. You can have a disagreement and see see what see what happens. This is how um, I think about it. What, do you, what, do you, what would you say, Natalie? I don't know if I follow what you mean, big and tough. But... I shouldn't have used big and tough. What I mean is... Big and tough! Yeah. Okay. You're free. You're free. Uh-huh. That's what I mean. I shouldn't have used big and tough. You're free. So mm-hmm. be free. Be love. Don't get self-centered yeah. when they disagree. And I'm preaching to myself. Well, I think a lot of the fights that become big fights are when we feel like someone is a, is attacking our character. And so... That's what it always was for us from day one. It gets a lot uglier when you feel like someone is saying something about you, you know, about who you are, and they're trying to tell you what your motivation was. And that it was off and selfish or something. And so I think anytime that it goes to that level, it can get really difficult to like see anything because we're both just defending 
this person. We feel like we have to prove by like some really long explanation why we did what we did and how it wasn't bad and I wasn't trying to be mean. And so that conversation, like that argument can go forever because we're both just sharing an opinion about a circumstance and they can see it how it made them feel and I can keep saying what I knew my motivation was. And so if we stay in that position of defending ourselves and our motives, it's just, it doesn't ever go anywhere. It's when one of us or both hopefully can put our weapon down, recognize I don't need to defend me. If I messed up, that actually doesn't, isn't a defining characteristic of me. Hmm. I am not impatient with my husband. I may have been really rude to him when I was busy and dealing with the kids and he started asking me a bunch of questions. I may have turned around and snapped at him, right? And I can look at him and say, I'm sorry. And the same thing I do with God. I can immediately in that moment just say, that isn't me. I don't agree with that behavior and I don't actually own it. Like, I'm not going to own the fact that I was impatient. I am sorry that I fell into that temptation, God, and that for, you know, I turned away from you and I'm going to turn back to you and agree with what you say about me. So if we can do that in an argument where it can just kind of take it off of me because I'm not defending myself, it can make it so much more simple for me to just see that he was hurt, that he didn't like that, that, you know, it is a real reaction when someone snaps at you to feel whatever you feel. And so I don't need to convince him because I don't need to convince myself either that I am good. Hmm. Because that's usually what it was, was like, no, I'm not bad. And I'm going to spend 30 minutes convincing you. I think this goes back to, to looking at people through the eyes of Jesus. If I think it's a zero sum game to tell the other person what their motivation was. I'm not sure if that's ever gotten like we've ever had a like a great time in a discussion talking to the other person about, well, your motivation was this. It's just it's a zero sum game. And so like when some like if she snaps at me, I need to get out of my rights and not be hurt about it. Like that's my thing. Like I can can only control what's going on with me. If she snaps at me, Richard you're dead anyway. You've died to yourself. You denied yourself. You love your wife. Okay. And then with her, when, whenever, or if I snap at her, I need to apologize. I'm sorry. I am not an impatient person, but I was practicing impatience. Like I, I was practicing it and you know that that's not me. I know that's not me. Thank you for the forgiveness. And, um, but whenever I try to put her motivation on her, well, you did this thing because it did it. That's just positioning them in all kinds of whackness. And the, the elephant in the room of truth, like you're not going to be able to look over to him for a while because you're just defending. And, and, and so like truth, let truth reign, let the truth. That's why this gospel thing is so like, that's why it's it. Yeah, so it's interesting because you guys, Tyler and Richard, have both talked about your um, past sin with the addiction to lust. Oh, you're talking about the porns? The porns. Um, And so, like, we've talked about it. It's out there. Um, And that... Had an impact on right. It's on it. It's out there. So that had a a deep impact on our 
sex life, I would assume, I don't know that you guys can speak to this, if that had any sort of impact on yours. And Morgan, why are you asking this question? Well, because guess what? Sex is a thing that married people get to do, and it's beautiful and it's amazing. And I have been learning recently that we as a Christian culture shy away from this conversation um, because we think that sex is something that it's not. And so we avoid the conversation because we think it's just like this, like, ooh, like, ooh, it's kind of like a naughty thing and you shouldn't talk about it. But no, it's this beautiful, pure, wonderful thing. And we, um, as Christians, unfortunately, have tarnished that. Um, because we talk about sex in in terms, honestly, that we, we shouldn't be talking about it in. So I want to have this conversation because you are free individuals mm-hmm. who are married True. having sex. And so um, talk to me about how intimacy itself was before you were free, as much as you were comfortable. I'll, I'll say this. I don't think that porn had an effect on her i disagree oh well let me just tell you how it had an effect on me okay well i think it it was like a secondary yeah like a primary effect it was a secondary for me just like the anger at myself um and then that anger would transfer to like why don't you hold up your end of the bargain because you know we're we're you know we're 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 in the game a little bit. We've been married for for a little bit of time now, and so my my frustration with myself would transfer to be frustration with her, mm-hmm. um, mm. because of you know, uh, so you know, there's so many people that will put out there, even pastors, preachers that'll say they'll put this um, put this weight on the wife. Like you need yep. to take care of your husband. You need to da 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 da. Yep. And so I would believe that or whatever, and I would mm-hmm. believe that I had a certain you know rights, you know whatever mm-hmm. you want to do expectations. Mm-hmm. And so yep. my rights and my expectations. Um, then sometimes I would give myself a pass or whatever, to to you know feel bad for myself if it wasn't at the frequency that I wanted to be. Mm -hmm. And so then I would give myself a pass that way and then feel, you know, that didn't work because I still felt horrible about whatever. And so I'm putting this on her while at the same time, not talking to her about it at all. Like, Mm. you know, that's just not something we talked about because that was something that I'm going to figure out. I'm fighting this fight. I'm going to figure it out. And my Mm. heart was completely sincere in wanting to figure it out. But then Mm -hmm. when it came to us, there was all of my baggage that I didn't tell her about, but that would come out in frustration. So that is the effect that it had from my angle. What would you say? Okay. Like the porns specifically, or just like sex. <laughs> However, yeah. you want to answer. Yeah. Can I, can I attempt so, to synthesize and see if I track yes. with that? Yeah. Okay, just Help to see out. if I'm, I'm hearing out. it right. The the way that you're describing it is there was an underlying foundational belief about sex, and that men have needs that need to be taken care of, which would then give you a pass when you wouldn't be having sex with the right frequency or enough to then watch yeah. porn, but porn would still leave you feeling guilty and shamed. And so then you would just feel horrible, which then would manifest in you um, feeling like it's 
maybe subconsciously Natalie's fault that you're enduring this shame and guilt because she's not taking care of your needs mm. sexually and driving you to this thing. Mm-hmm. But, uh, Which may. Okay. okay. Yeah. 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 Which unfortunately is not like uncommon. No. Like what you just described is not this like, oh, I've never heard of that before. Like that mm-hmm. is so many experiences in marriage. Um, right. which is absolutely devastating. That's why we're talking about it. Okay, so then Natalie, what about you? So I'd say I kind of touched on some of the trust got broken down in our in our relationship, in our marriage. Um, and for me and probably for women overall, I think that's a big part of being vulnerable, like when it comes to sex. Mm-hmm. Like if you have trust and you feel comfortable and safe with someone, then it's it's just second nature but I definitely Mm -hmm. over time with the way we would fight and just the things that kind of broke down between us just outside of the bedroom I definitely lost a lot of trust in Richard and to add to that he had this whole inner struggle going on where there was so much tension surrounding sex and he did occasionally say Mm. things like well, I don't want to, I don't know. It almost made it sound like he was saying he didn't want to cheat on me. And so I needed to have sex with him. I don't think I said it. I'm not defending but him all person, but I don't think but I said it the like word that. Cheat. <laughs> but but that kind like, of is an attitude. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. It was probably the attitude. And it was like comments mm-hmm. to, to that effect. He didn't, I don't think said, oh, I'm going to cheat on you if you don't. It wasn't like that. It was just like, it would be a lot easier on me if we would have sex more frequently. And then sure. it also like, I think... If we weren't having sex, then I could feel that frustration that he had with himself. I could just feel it. I could, and it, it created like a much stronger reaction than just like, oh man, I wish we could have had sex. It was like, you are hurting me. Like, I really felt like oh. I was like m- hurting him. And I mean, if we understand that, like, he felt like if we could have sex more frequently, he could defeat this temptation in his life. And so I think that's what yes. he was confronting in those moments when I just was like, no, I don't trust you. I don't want to do this. I don't want to be that close to you. And for me, it was easy in a way because it just felt so much safer just to not be that vulnerable with him after mm-hmm. all the fighting. And so it was a really simple decision for me. Like, nah, I right. don't want to do it. Um, yeah. But then if we were going to try to have sex, then it was like this pressure of like me trying to put walls down and mm-hmm. him trying not to show how much he needed this. Like, right. It was so stressful. Like, does sex- it sound, does it sound stressful? Cause it was, it was fine. <laughs> and it's, it's something that I think like is just, like woven into our sex life to this point where just this pressure and this like physical reaction that I started to feel because I felt so much guilt that I wasn't having sex with my husband that I would just be like, fine, we're going to do it. Hmm. But I think the more times that you have sex with someone when you're not comfortable, when you don't feel safe is really damaging. And I think that, just like repeating that over and over where you're just like shoving your feelings down in order to fulfill your duty is, is really damaging. And I think that that took a, I mean, it really hurt us to have sex in that way, 
to have mm. sex when it's a guilty thing or a pressure thing or an obligation. And I mean, there'd be times where I just like, just would kind of zone out and just be like, okay, mm -hmm. let's just get this over with. It's mm -hmm. mm -hmm. horrible. It's horrible mm -hmm. because it's like so far from what it's supposed to be. And it left like serious scars, like mm -hmm. on us. I mean, definitely for me. Yeah. No. Yeah. 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 Go. So yeah, no apps. I'm, this is, this is just too good. This is too good. Thank you. Guys. So, um, <laughs> I'm glad you're enjoying this. No, it, it's is this going so on the good internet? <laughs> this is going on the interwebs because here's the thing, you guys, you are describing the experience of, I would almost say most Christian marriages. I would go out mm. on a limb and say, you are describing the sex lives of Christians kind of at large. Um, because they're what Natalie you're describing and Richard, what you're describing are actually um, studied trends in Christian men and women. Um, so a study by, you know what? Yeah, here's a plug for this book because guess what? It's the best and I'm not even that far into it, but it's called The Great Sex Rescue. And they interviewed 20,000, 22,000 actually women. 20,000 Christian women, 2,000 non-Christian as like a little control. And they found exactly what you just described, that women yeah. are more likely in Christian marriages especially to feel like it's their responsibility because a lot of pastors and books actually just say that. Like this mm -hmm. is your thing. Like you can do this and it makes your husband feel good. And if your husband cheats on you and it's because you weren't having sex with him, it's kind of your responsibility. And books tell men like you have these needs. You have a quote unquote higher sex drive than your wife, which again, not true. We can unpack that a later time. But we tell men this thing, this lie that they have a need that has to be met line number one and that line number two, it's their wives responsibility. And so you guys are like being super awesome and honest about that, like that experience mm -hmm. and this, well, this and lie that even... sex. Go ahead. Sorry. Just even the time that like the time frame where we got married, it was like clearly explained to us by adults in our lives that we should get married as soon as possible so that we didn't sin. And it almost made me angry because it was like, so you think it's more important that we just rush into marriage. I don't know. It just felt almost like a sacrifice. It was like, you have to just mm. rush into marriage so you don't sin because guys are just these animals that yeah. can't control themselves. And it made me so like, ugh. like sex yep. drive became like this gross, just like almost an embarrassing thing for a guy. Like how embarrassing for you that you're so weak, like yep. that we have to rush into marriage so that you can not have sex, you know? And it's just like, is yep. that really what it, it's not, it's not it. No. And like, I can speak. Told. Right. That's exactly what we're told. And so I can kind of speak to Tyler's experience in our marriage with his addiction to lust. It, it was like this decade long battle with addiction to lust. And so in Tyler's mind, he told me this kind of after everything blew apart, like kind of out of desperation, he was like, but I thought that getting married would fix it. Like if we could have sex mm -hmm. and like, maybe I would stop being addicted to lust. 
But that didn't happen, number one. Mm-hmm. Number two, all it did was it tr- it transferred an addiction to lust in other women to then addiction to lust in me. Like I was just the new channel, which doesn't fix anything. Like it's still feeding a lie that I have this desire, this need for things and you are the way that I'm going to meet that thing. Right. And so these are just like crazy lies that go into sex and completely undermine exactly what it is. Um, because what is sex? Are you asking? Yeah. Like as a group, what do we understand sex to be? <clears throat> Unpack it, Morgan. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think, I think we need I, you to preach this thing out right I now. I think it's supposed to be a like a type or a symbol of sorts of something that we can take part in that is like mimicking like the sanctuary and like the holy place and like the meeting place of intimacy. Yeah, I think, yeah. yeah of intimacy face to face with God, but mm-hmm. it's not that. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Yeah, so um yeah, I love in this book, The Great Sex Rescue, the author kind of highlights this funny language essentially in the Bible where like early on in Genesis, it will say like, and then Adam knew Eve and they conceived. And we're, you know, the author kind of jokes around like, oh, what God can't say. And they had sex. Like he's so uncomfortable with it. He can't say. It. And like, no, he actually means what he said. He knew her like in an intimate way that you can only experience in in that intimacy. And then we have kind of that comparison throughout the Bible. Like God knows our innermost being. Like he knows he knows our thoughts, he knows our everything. He knows everything about us. And so in the way that Adam knew Eve in intimacy, God knows us. And so yeah, Natalie, I totally agree. Like sex is this very like human, like this very flesh, literally example of that, of that union of knowing each other in the way that my heavenly father knows me. Um, So I think with with like so many things about the gospel that we had to unlearn similar with this is that we have to call it out what it, for what it is like God did not create a woman because Adam had an erection. Like, Mm-hmm. It is not her job to, to sat like he didn't create her to satisfy or to scratch my itch or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to unlearn these things so that they're now built on the foundation of truth and the beauty of what they are because so much has been robbed from them. And just like any good gift, the enemy has wanted to take it for his own um, or mm-hmm. distorted or perverted in a way. And we have seen that, and we've seen the damage that it has done with the gospel. We've seen that damage that it has done with the family. We've seen this damage, what it's done with rest. And sex is a, a beautiful gift that God has given us. And so as we unlearn, uh, Natalie and I, we're putting back, we're, we're, we're learning again, but it's much more foundational from where we're starting. It's about, like what you were saying, it's about each other. It's about us. It's about knowing each other. It's about intimacy. It's not some some nasty perverted thing mm-hmm. if that makes sense didn't didn't you mention in one of your podcasts or is this just something i know from you guys directly about a time i think prior to natalie you receiving god's love in this way but after richard receiving it that um one of these patterns was starting to emerge where richard was that stress and that tension 
was there and he like really wanted to have sex. <laughs> and then you were like, no. And I think, did this happen? And then Richard responded differently than he had in the past. Did that well, ever happen? I mean, I don't know if we shared that, but yeah, it definitely did. And it just is like crazy when it did happen. Cause I'd never, I'd never seen him like deny himself, which is really what he mm. did in that moment. Like just to be able to be like, yeah, like, that isn't such a strong thing that I can't just deny it. Like it, it used I to didn't so believe that was power. possible, right? Like, yeah. like mm-hmm. that's not how we operated. And like, you didn't give it power anymore. And you were just like, okay. And it was really weird. Cause he would say, okay, before, but like, so, so yeah. What was it that came in that, um, that you learned? Like what truth did you learn that brought that shit? Um, the truth, your mic, I, th- I think your headphone is out. Um, the truth that I learned is whenever I was doing that, I was manipulating her and that was not love. That was self-centeredness. That was selfishness. Um, mm-hmm. and I've died to myself. It's not about me. I can do that because the gospel is so good. I can do that because of what he's given me. So, um, whenever I'm tempted to do that, like, Yeah. What's truth? I don't need that. Now, at the same time, we long for intimacy with with people, with our wife specifically. But if I really want intimacy with my wife, then being selfish in that regard will do the opposite. It will bring the opposite result. And so what do I really want? Like, what, what do I really want? And... I, I want, we want closeness. We want, we want um, to be man and wife. We want to be a team. We want to be together. Um, we don't just need an orgasm, if I can be so bold to say that, or want that. Like, it's got to be deeper than that. And so I learned just about my selfishness, and I learned that, oh, man, I had believed a bunch of lies. Well, that's really, I, I'm really grateful that y'all were willing to have this conversation. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah, now. it's better. I'm really grateful yeah. that you guys were willing to talk about it because, yeah, I think this is something that people don't want to talk about. Yeah. And you talked about unlearning, Richard. Like, we've been unlearning things about God's forgiveness. We've been unlearning things that we used to believe about living in the spirit. Mm-hmm. And we've been unlearning things that we used to believe about sinful nature. But because this is still a very like taboo topic, yeah. even in freedom, we're realizing that this is one of the areas that we've been slower to unlearn just because we're not talking about it yeah. with one another. And I was like, wait, why aren't we talking about this? Like, this is literally the way that we experience intimacy in a physical way in the same way that I experienced it spiritually. Like, this is a huge part of living in freedom married. And I'm like, wait a minute. We just are having these conversations. So thank you for... Yeah, well, this is this is a huge deal, right? And that's and it's important that we talk about it. And it does take some courage and some freedom to be able to talk about it. Sure, 100%. Um, but at the same time, every single list that Paul talks about getting this out of your life, the number one thing on the list is sexual immorality. Yes, number yes. one, because it it messes with your soul. It messes with your being. It's it it's it says a lot. Like what's going on. 
Yeah. And so people own this weird stuff about it. And then they act out in these crazy ways where they'll sleep with somebody else's wife or they'll, you know, they'll just do this crazy stuff and it has no business being in any part of our lives. And so, yeah, we, it's important that we do talk about it. Um, and it's important that we unlearn all of the garbage that we learned either from the church or from pornography or from Mm -hmm. romantic comedies or from wherever we had learned all this stuff that said, you complete me. And it's, and it's not about, yeah, you complete me. Like we talked about it before on this podcast, that's selfish. And all of this is, it's about laying your life down. It's about receiving truth enough to where you can love and the intimacy that you can have with somebody um, that you love, like, and that loves you. That's, it's just different. So. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So I just have one more question, but it's a good, like last question. Perfect. Is that if there's anything else you want to ask or. Um, I think that we'll talk about it at a later time. Oh, okay, I think cool. that this is the beginning of a, of a longer conversation. So awesome. Okay, cool, cool, cool. <laughs> so. Here is the the thing that I'm curious about to kind of wrap up. Now that you guys, just your story, where you're at in your story, is you both shared your lives that culminated in a long marriage that had a lot of baggage and tension and hurt and scars. And then the love of God set you free. Mm. And now you've been growing in freedom. Um, what you've received from God individuals as individuals. And that's been now um, overflowing into your relationship with one another. And there's been growth in it, but what has happened since then? Well, you've lost a job. You worked nights at Amazon while Natalie was working long days. Um, You guys have two kids. You're living in Richard's parents' basement. And this has been going on for almost the entire time that both of you have been free. Right. And so now today you've got, you don't know what's in the future but you're describing peace and you're describing how this has transformed the way that you approach one another, how you approach life. Um, But something that I'm curious about is as you've been growing in freedom and as you guys have been learning to just drink from the living water um, and just from God, just be satisfied in him. What have you noticed in the other person as far as like how they approach things or um, how they parent or how they deal with hardships. Like what are some things you've noticed? Cause I realized I don't notice the things that I do different. Sometimes it's, it might be difficult to see the change in ourselves, but it's really easy for the other person to see what's wrong. And also if we take a second and stop and look to see what's right. So I'm curious if you guys would each take turns saying what you've noticed different about the other person. Do you want me to go first? Yes, I think you should. Yeah. I think it's things that are new, but not so new. And Natalie is the most sincere heart and loving heart that, you know, that I've ever come across. She, um, she just gives and gives and gives. She's always given wherever she goes. And it was always from this sincere place. And now like, where before there was a cap on it when like she got worn out or, you know, it seems like with our spouse, you know, we give our spouse the worst, we give our job the best, right? 
We give our kids the best. We give our friends the best, and then we give our spouse the worst. And what I've seen is her sincere heart and her love that she's been able to give to any patient she's ever had at the hospital and to her kids. And because there's no cap on it anymore, she's given it to me. And that's always been true about her. But the lie was there that she had to have a cap on it and she had to protect herself. And I was one of the main people that had hurt her and put the cap on it and helped build those walls up. But I've seen her sincerity. Um, she, she's always longed for intimacy with God. She just didn't have the tools she thought to get that intimacy with God. And so now it's just like her heart is being, her heart's desire are being fulfilled because now she sees it. Now she understands, Oh, he really loves me. Oh, he really loves me. So it's like the beautiful things that God created Natalie with are, are now able to shine where before, um, there was a guard in the way and or I don't know a good analogy to just say that all of these things that she had, um, the veil has been removed. Natalie can, you know, show herself in front of God. And because of that, now she's just love pouring out to me to, there, there's no cap on it to, to everybody that's around her. And so that's, that's what I've seen is is more of what I had known from the beginning. Um, I'd say with Richard, it used to be that I could pressure him or guilt him into doing things like around the house or with the family, um, and it was never it was never really worth it because it was always like kind of tainted by frustration and whatever he was feeling. Um, but I'd say that here in the last few months, it's just more and more of his heart. I can just see his heart for, for being selfless. Like his heart is to serve those around him. And it's not even stuff that I have to motivate him to do or, you know, plead my whole case for why I need him to do things. It's just, his heart is open to us, to the kids and I, and to others and, in, in uh, it just seems so like a peaceful service that he does. Um, and he he does it because he really wants to. And that's been kind of amazing and crazy to see. Um, and then also just seeing Richard be at peace just with himself. And that's been a huge thing because I could always see the struggle that he was going through. And I could see he had certain talents and they were being like marred by his ego or by his, you know, the lies he believed about himself. And now it's like he has a pureness and his, his talents can shine even more. He's outgoing and he has a mind for, you know, developing relationships. And he has all these great things that now are just like being acted out in the purest way. And God's able to use him. And it's amazing, like, the person that Richard is in the hands of God. It's just this, like, awesome thing to get to watch him live out. Um, and so I think that's been something I've been able to see. Just the peace and the calm in him is is really big. Man, 
Oh, I love that. Man, so much. Mm-hmm. So praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I mean, that's just what it is. Praise the Lord. That's just praise so good. Lord. It's so good. Uh, no, this has been a journey. Um, go ahead, Tyler. I, I was just going to say, I don't really know what else to say except for that. I'm excited. Speak to... speak near Morgan's earpiece, please. Oh, is that the problem? I, I... I don't really know yeah. what else to say except just that I'm excited for the next interview, you know, three, two years down the road, whatever, and how God just continues to bear fruit for righteousness in your lives. Like, it's very evident mm-hmm. to us, and I think everybody who knows you guys, that hundreds and thousands of people um, are going to receive God's love through each one of you and through the testimony of the reconciliation you've received and that you have with one another. And so I'm really grateful to be able to know you and then be able to see what God has done. And so for anybody that doesn't know Richard and Natalie that is listening to this podcast, um, I can just say as being their friend for 11 years and being around, like some of the stuff that they're saying is like obvious, like, oh yeah, we all knew this. Like you can kind of see it because as Natalie said, Richard just wears everything on the front. Like you can just see exactly what's going on if you just are close to him. Mm -hmm. And so to see now the difference and the the shift, the only thing that makes sense is that Jesus is alive Mm -hmm. and that he's alive in you. Mm -hmm. And so it's so, so beautiful. Love you guys. Thanks for, for, for being on the death of life podcast. Love it. Roll that song. Roll it. Can't stop till we make it to the moon It's too late, can't stop it, it's a boom No, I cannot wait till you approve I got people with me on the other side Spirit on me too bright, I see they tryna ride Coming out for the night, yeah, it's that come alive Coming out for the fight, yeah, we stay alive We stay alive, Hey, 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 put your hands down and we ain't coming questions, yeah, we been down Creed, I am Adonis, wash the hands now Went from thinking broke to living rich now Hey, busting with the twos, you watch me slide now Hey, she look kinda bougie and she bad now Hey, mama think I made it easy, proud now Hey, hey Set me free, son. Free. Hey. 
Only motivation on me now is heavenly. A lot of people trying to drain me of this energy. I talked to God, told me people's not my enemies. I'm cutting ties with the spirits trying to play with me. Go shoot. Can't stop till we make it to the moon. It's too late, can't stop it, it's a boom. No, I cannot wait till you approve. I got people with me on the other side. Spirit on me too bright, I see they tryna ride. Coming out for the night, yeah, it's that come alive. Coming out for the fight, yeah, we stay alive. They stay alive, hey.